0: Welcome to Theology.fm, a theology podcast to make your life and theology look more like Jesus. I am your host, Jeremy Myers. What would you think if I told you to go hug a tree or think of a buffalo as your brother? (laughs) Yeah, if that sounds sort of weird, new agey like part of some other religion, or just plain off the wall, well, give this sermon by by Brian Zond a listen. I was quite challenged by what he said, and I'm curious to know your reaction as well. Brian Zond is the founder and lead pastor of Word of Life Church. It's a non-denominational christian congregation in saint joseph missouri brian and his wife founded the church in 1981 and have been pastoring there ever since brian is also the author of several books which i have read including a farewell to mars radical forgiveness you can find brian at BrianZond.com. he's got a podcast his sermons on itunes get his books on amazon cbd connect with him facebook twitter links to all of those are in the show notes This episode of the One Verse, I'm sorry, uh, One Verse Podcast is my other podcast. This is Theology.fm. This episode of Theology.fm is brought to you by you. It takes quite a bit of work to produce this podcast and my other podcast, along with my various blogs and books and courses and everything else I put out. And so I'm looking for partners, people to partner with me. If you want to help me publish a book or produce this podcast, help me out with my blog, uh, or even donate financially to some of the great expenses I have in putting all of this stuff out. I would love to talk with you and participate with you. See what, uh, how, how you can help me and how I can help you. So uh, you can do that. Find the various ways. Contact me, all of that, by going over to redeeminggod.com partner. It's my main blog, and uh, there's sort of a little bit about my ministry, what I do, and how you can participate with me, how you can join with me, how you can partner with me. Let's partner together in 2016, see where God takes us. Now, one of the reasons I'm sharing this podcast with you by Brian Zahn today is because I have just finished this study of... The Genesis account, the creation account in Genesis 1 over at my other podcast, the One Verse Podcast, which you can also find on iTunes. And I really like what Brian had to say about Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And just preceding this, God gave three instructions to the humans he had created. I talked about those three instructions in one of my podcasts, in the last podcast of 2015. And uh, one of the instructions there, which I didn't mention a whole lot, was the instruction to take care of the plants, to tend the plants. Now, the real instruction there also is to take care of the animals, to tend the earth, the creation of God. And uh, I did talk a little bit about that. And, of course, tending the garden, tilling the garden, isn't really emphasized until Genesis chapter 2. But Brian talks about all of this. And what he talks about sort of gets into the language of environmentalism. What is your view of environmentalist? Do you even consider yourself an environmentalist? In this sermon on Genesis 131, Brian Zahn shows us that taking care of the environment, of animals, of plants and trees and oceans, of the air is the very first vocation given by God to mankind. Uh, And beyond that, This is the vocation redeemed by Jesus in his resurrection, and is also the vocation to which we are all called as members of the kingdom of God. So in other words, what we're going to see from Brian Zond today is that taking care of God's creation, of God's good earth, is one way, and even a primary way, to participate in the kingdom of God. Of God. Far too often, though, we Christians, we criticize environmentalism. We condemn those who you know, want to take care of the environment or protect endangered animals. We say, oh, they are earth worshippers, they're worshiping animals, they're worshiping the environment. You know, they are worshiping the created thing more than the creator, to use Paul's language in Romans chapter 1. But but Brian points out here that isn't taking care of God's creation one way to worship the God who created it. And this is especially true, especially true, if God himself, the creator, instructed us, told us to take care of his creation. So that's what Brian points out. and I've done similar in a previous podcast episode of mine over on the One Verse Podcast, but we'll let Brian put it in his own words. So without further ado, let me just pass the mic over to him. Let's tune in and see what he has to say.
1: Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The Bible, as you know, opens with the story of God's work of creation, six days of labor, and at the eat at the end of each day, a reflection upon that day's labor. And God saw that it was good. And then finally, at the end of that week's work, we're told that God looked upon all of His handiwork and He pronounced that it was very good. Now this is in contrast with the pagan creation stories. If you read the rival creation stories from pagan religions, you will find that it usually is presented as creation comes about as a great conflict, a struggle between good and evil, and out of that matter was born and matter is often then viewed as somehow inherently evil. The Bible, on the other hand, says no to that and says that it was only God and God's goodness that we're at work in the act of creation, and that all of creation is good. That matter is not evil. That evil itself is merely parasitic in nature. In one sense, it is nothing. It is the marring of God's goodness. But it is not a thing in and of itself. That's the first account of creation in Genesis 1. As then the story moves on into Genesis 2, there is a second account of creation, and this time the emphasis is on human vocation, that is, the reason or the task or the job that God had given unto humankind. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and take care of it. There it is, the human vocation. God's good creation needs a caretaker. God created it all and it was all very good. God then creates a garden and places this unique image-bearing creature called Adam. Mankind, humankind formed from the Adama, from the soil of the earth. The human from the humus. And is placed in God's garden to take care of it and to tend for it. The original vocation was to work as a gardener. And I think the implication is, especially as we take the whole scope of the biblical story into consideration, that what we were to do was to expand the garden. Creation was good, but it was not yet fully complete. And now God wanted humans in His image to cooperate with Him and to make all of His creation a kind of garden. There were these rivers, you know, four rivers that were flowing out of Eden. And it seems that that God wanted the goodness of the garden that He had begun and that He had placed mankind in that garden to tend it. He wanted the garden to, as it were, flow into the rest of the world that all of creation might become a kind of garden. And the human vocation was to tend God's good earth, to cultivate it, to care for it, to protect it, to expand it. So we could say it this way, the human vocation was to work with God in the cultivation and care of God's good earth. This is massively important. You need to get this. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. We're told that in Genesis 1. Now this is one of those passages of scripture that have that has often been abused. And people have taken it as a license For plundering the planet and abusing the planet. For a rapacious approach to being a human being upon the earth. That is not how we are to understand the gift of God to humanity called dominion. Rather, it's more like this. God deputized humankind for the task of caring for His good earth. You might say it this way. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth as a park ranger is given dominion over our national parks. Right? The state gives the rangers dominion over those parks. But not that, that dominion is not a license to abuse or exploit the park. That gift of dominion, that that... Gift of dominion is, in fact, a commission to protect and preserve so that the original great commission was that we might extend God's care for His good creation. And evangelism, in fact, is a part of that original great commission. We are to make disciples of Jesus Christ that we might once again live in harmony, not only with our Creator, but with His great creation. Well, this is how it was in the beginning, but then sin happened. And with catastrophic effect upon human identity and vocation. As sin comes into the world, it targets human beings. Human beings become the hosts and the carriers of sin, but it is not only humans who suffer as a result of the introduction of sin into creation. In fact, all of creation begins to suffer. This is what Paul speaks of, you know, in Romans 8, when he says that all of creation is groaning because it has been subjected unwillingly to the effects of sin. So we might say it like this, God's children commissioned with the care of God's earth, somehow turned bad. And the trees began to suffer. It reminds me of Saruman in Lord of the Rings. Remember, he was originally a good wizard. But he turned bad and began to destroy the forest. you remember that? And then finally, Treebeard. One of my favorite lines from the Lord of the Rings, Treebeard Finally became angered, this, this great int, this tree shepherd, said, a wizard should know better. And so as creation itself suffers under the rapacious abuse of the earth at the hands of human beings, there is something that cries out, humans should know better. Isaiah chapter 14 is very interesting. In that chapter... You find the trees rejoicing at the fall of the empire of Babylon, which is called Lucifer in that passage. And one of the things that is said about the, the empire of Babylon is that they made the world like a desert. That's one of the condemnations and judgments that's set by Isaiah against the empire of Babylon that, that Babylon had turned the world into a desert. But now Babylon is under judgment and it's falling. And in Isaiah 14, it says, The cedars rejoice, saying, Since Babylon was laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. You see, empires believe they have a right to exploit the environment for their own end. But Scripture calls this sin. Well, here are a few things that some of Christianity's best writers and preachers have said on the subject of how the Christian is to relate to the creation. C.S. Lewis said, Because God created nature, invented it out of His love and artistry, it demands our reverence. Indeed, we should view creation as sacred. T.S. Eliot said, A wrong attitude toward nature implies somewhere a wrong attitude toward God. I absolutely believe that. John of Damascus, one of the early church fathers, he said that the whole earth is a living icon of the face of God. I believe that's true. Did you know that um, we are losing wildlife at the rate of a species a day? around the world. And to that, Billy Graham says, to drive to extinction something God has created is wrong. Christians have a responsibility to take the lead in caring for the earth. Amen. One more. Faith in Jesus Christ can and will lead us beyond an exclusive concern for the well-being of other human beings to the broader concern for the well-being of the birds in our backyards, the fish in our rivers, and every living creature on the face of the earth. Well, what tree-hugging liberal said that? John Wesley. And by the way, I'm all for hugging trees. I think this is wonderful. I'm, you know, so... You probably should go home and hug your tree today. Just tell him Pastor Brian said that, I, that you should give him a hug. The first person who saw Jesus after his resurrection, Mary Magdalene, thought that Jesus was what? The gardener. I call that Mary's prophetic mistake. Because at first you think it's a mistake. No, it's not the gardener, it's Jesus. And then you wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think we were supposed to see something here. Because if Jesus is the one that sets right what's gone wrong with the world, amen. Well, where does it, where does it, God creates man in places and where? In a garden. Where does it go wrong? In a garden. And what happens then? The garden's lost. But now, after the long journey through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Israel, as it reaches its culmination in Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, where do we find Jesus? In a garden, looking like the gardener. In other words, the gardener has returned. The gardener that had been banished from the garden has come back. That Adam and Eve's lost vocation is being recovered in Christ. Is he not the new Adam, the last Adam? So Jesus calls us to join him in the original commission of caring for the Father's creation. We are called to join him in this program of restoration. I hope you see this. I hope you see this. That we are to participate with Christ in what was always the original human commission and vocation. And that is to care for God's good earth. The Bible tells its story from garden to garden. We begin in a garden and we end in a garden. We start in the garden in Genesis. The garden is lost But then finally, by the time we get to the end of the Bible, we find the garden has been recovered. The final two chapters of the Bible talk about the new Jerusalem, that is new human society, as a garden city. It's a city, but it's a garden city. The original vision of Eden's garden expanded by humans who cooperate with God is finally, in the book of Revelation at last, realized. Well, the Apostle Peter speaks of the restoration of all things, and here John the Revelator gives us a vision of it. In his vision, John says, what I see flowing through the city, a river, it's not polluted, it's clear as crystal, it flows from the throne of God, and it flows through the city, there's a river going through the city, and on the banks of that river, on either side, there are trees. And these trees... Bear 12 kinds of fruit, and their leaves are for the healing of the nations. Well, in that passage, in fact, almost all of the imagery in the book of Revelation is borrowed from either Daniel or Ezekiel or sometimes Isaiah. And here, John is borrowing from Ezekiel's vision. Remember, Ezekiel had a vision. At a time when the temple had been destroyed, he saw a new temple, a new kind of temple. And in Ezekiel 47, he says, I saw a river. Well, it doesn't start out as a river. It's just a little trickle coming down the steps of the temple. But as, the, as that little trickle goes, it becomes deeper and wider. First to the ankles and then to the knees and then to the waist and then enough to swim in. And this, wherever this river goes, for it becomes a mighty river. Wherever it goes, it brings healing. And it flows into these desert waste places and they suddenly blossom and they turn green. It flows into the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea is healed and now it's teeming with life and with fish. And Ezekiel says, and these trees that grow up on either side of this river, well, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And so John then incorporates that into his vision. Well, do you see it? The prophets and the apostles are all telling us the same thing that God has not abandoned his good creation. And God has not given up on the original human vocation. Jesus the Christ is the Savior King who leads humanity in the restoration of all things, the restoration of the human soul. The restoration of human society and the restoration of God's good earth. If you think that God's intention is for that, God's going to kick his creation in the garbage can, you have been misled. The vision is restoration, not destruction. Creation itself is to be restored in Christ. And those who are baptized into Christ are to be living out that future reality in as far as we can here and now. We we are to embody the restoration to come in our lives as much as possible here and now. When it comes to the environment, when it comes to God's good earth, we need to get rid of all pagan And Gnostic thinking, instead I'm going to make a radical suggestion, we should think like Christians. Not like pagans, and not like Gnostics, we should think like Christians. For example, pagans think that evil resides in the material realm. That somehow matter itself is inherently evil, and the best thing that can be done is ultimately to do away with it, and just be pure spirit. That's pagan thought. Christians reject that. Christians say no. Christians say no to that primarily because the Word became flesh and was without sin. And from that we learn that God is able to take up habitation within matter, within flesh and blood, within bread and wine. And so we learn that the idea that matter itself is the problem and needs to be destroyed is a pernicious lie, and Christians reject that. Gnostics think that salvation consists in escaping the world, but Christians disagree with that too because Christians are taught to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so... In the Gnostic view of salvation, there is a parting of ways. Here's the earth and the saved, you know, depart. But in the Christian view of salvation, it's exactly the opposite. It's heaven and earth coming together in healing reconciliation. So, Christians know that creation is sacred. We know that because we are informed by two things. The two greatest events in all of creation. The incarnation and the resurrection. The incarnation tells us that matter is good and the resurrection tells us that God's ultimate agenda for matter is not destruction but restoration, resurrection, new creation. Amen and amen. So how should Christians think about creation? This matters, this is important. Christians should think of creation as God's infinite love Expressed in matter and energy. We talked about this a little bit Friday night. Why is there something instead of nothing? The only possible answer is God. It's the only, you, just trust me, I know enough philosophy to know there's really no other way around that question. Why is there something and instead of nothing, the only answer you can come up with eventually brings you, brings God into the conversation. But I'm not interested in merely, you know, A philosophical argument for the existence of God. The Bible doesn't spend any time trying to prove the existence of God. And I'm not going to spend much time doing that either. I am interested though in the theology of, of why did God create in the first place. Why did God create? I'm convinced that God created because God is love. Love that seeks expression. Why did God say let there be? Because God was bursting with love that he wanted to express and because God was so filled with love he said let there be and what is light light is God's love in the form of photons what is water water is a liquid expression of the love of God what is a tree it's God's love growing in your backyard go home and hug it what is a whale 50 tons of the love of God swimming in the ocean. Amen. As we learn to look at creation through the eyes of love, we begin to see the sacred. We see that all of creation is a sacrament to the holy mystery of God's infinite love. This is what Fyodor Dostoevsky said in the Brothers Karamazov... Through his character, Elder Zosima. Elder Zosima says to the young Aloysia Karamazov, he says, love all of God's creation, the whole of it, and every grain of sand. Love every leaf, every ray of God's light. Love animals, love plants, love each thing. If you love everything, you will perceive the mystery of God in all things. Oh, I love that. And I love the instinct that St. Francis of Assisi had to regard all of creation as a kind of kin. Belonging to the family. G.K. Chesterton said it's not so much that the earth is our mother as the earth is our sister. Our beautiful little sister that we take great delight in her beauty. That's what Chesterton said. I like it that that Francis had this had this holy instinct to speak of brother son, sister moon, sister. Water. Brother Fire. At one point in his life, uh, Francis of Assisi had to have one of his eyes cauterized. And as they were heating up this iron that was going to be placed upon his eye, you can imagine what that must have been like, you know, in the 13th century. Uh, Right before they they applied that hot iron to his eye, Francis said, Brother Fire, be gentle with me. I think there's something... (laughs) holy and and healthy about just seeing yourself not as set apart but as belonging to God's good creation and that you have a kind of kindred relationship with everything else in the world. I think that's holy. I think that's good. I know that European Christians could have benefited from this kind of understanding. A kind of understanding that seems to just be very indigenous in native spirituality. Uh, Native peoples hold a sacramental view of the earth. They have an instinct within their culture to view all of creation as sacred. Whereas Europeans held a, well I don't know how else to say it, an industrial view of the earth. And that wilderness was something to be conquered and used. And so as Europeans arrived on the American continent, I'm thinking now about North America, um, they they would look at the uh, practice of the native peoples to have a respect and honor for all created things, and they called that pagan. So, you know, here's a Native American, and he kills a buffalo. And he kneels over the buffalo and says, thank you, Brother Buffalo. Thank you for your gift. It will sustain my family. Thank you for the gift of your life. And the uh, Europeans called that pagan. But I want to ask you a question. Which do you think is more pagan? To express reverence for the gift of the buffalo or to wantonly exterminate all the buffalo just because you want to? You realize that in 1800, there were, they they would say between 30 million and 60 million buffalo in the American West. By 1887, there were 1,000. From 60 million down to 1,000 in 87 years. And they called it progress. Thank God we are, we know better than that now these days. And there's like a half a million buffalo out there these days. That makes me, every time I see one of those, yes, praise God, the buffalo are back. How shall we, who believe in Christ, look at the earth? Elizabeth Barrett Browning says it this way, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every bush aflame with God, but only those who see take off their shoes. You know about Moses, don't you? Out there in the desert, he saw a bush, and God was in that bush. And he he knew God was in that bush because that bush was on fire, but the bush wasn't being burned up. And he has this encounter with God that changes the whole direction of his life. And God says, now take off your shoes. This is holy ground. But I wonder, perhaps, might it be, could it be, might we think of it this way, that God, in fact, inhabits every bush? It's just most of the time we don't see it. Most of the time we're not aware of it. But if we could become aware that all, well, that creation itself is the original incarnation that then reaches its fullness in the perfect incarnation of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, well, then we realize that every step is on holy ground. There isn't anywhere we go that is, you can't walk without walking on holy ground. As Wendell Berry said, there are no sacred places, or non-sacred places, only sacred places and desecrated places. Say that again, I'm going to get it right. There are no non-sacred places, only sacred places and desecrated places. God's creation is sacred. And Christ, the risen gardener, calls us to join him in turning garbage dumps into gardens. I was in a third world country, and I was riding in the car with a Christian leader from that part of the world. And quite frankly, where we were riding in the car, although the creation itself had all manner of beauty, where we were on these roads and in this town, it was absolutely filthy with trash. Just everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. These ubiquitous plastic bags, just trash everywhere. And we're riding along in his car, and he he had uh, he had uh, give me that give me that right. He, he had one of these uh, bottles of water, you know. And we're we're riding along, and he's he's driving. I'm in the passenger seat, and and he gets done with his bottle of water, and he throws out the window, and I'm sitting here. I just did this. He was like this. And I just kept. (laughs) Well, everybody does it. And I said, yeah, I can tell. It's pretty obvious. I said, don't you think there's a better way? He didn't say anything. And don't you think that that better way ought to be led by those who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of the earth? I was pretty stern with him. I wasn't happy. There's was a little bit of tension he didn't we, we eventually just changed the subject. I saw him about a year later and he said, "You know, that really convicted me." <laughs> and he said I repented. And you know what I did? I went all up and down the street on my where my house is, all up and down that street, and I cleaned it all up. And my neighbors were just looking at what was he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? He's being a gardener. We are not consumers. We are gardeners. Gardeners charged with caring for God's good.
0: Sermon by Brian Zond. Now, I don't think I will be hugging any trees anytime soon. But I will admit, I do get quite upset. You can ask my wife and my three girls when I hike up into the mountains to see a beautiful lake, only to find, when I get there, piles of trash lying all over the place. Along the shore, people go up there camping, they leave their beer bottles and their empty cans and tent poles and who knows what else, lying all over the place. And uh, so, does that make me an environmentalist? I don't know, but I'm saddened by how the way, the way some people treat God's creation. I'm really saddened when I hear of animals being abused or streams and lakes being polluted. This is not why God put us on this earth. Now, I do think that sometimes environmentalist concerns go too far. I live in Oregon, state of Oregon, and sometimes we see that with certain salmon runs and, and the, the, way, the way fish are protected more than human jobs and all sorts of things. But I just think that with environmentalism, as with everything in life, there just needs to be some balance. And, and sometimes it does seem that concerns about wetlands or grasslands or some endangered butterfly, it, it, it sort of gets out of balance and causes the lives of humans and the livelihood of humans to become endangered. But uh, that's no reason to just back off of all of that and say we can do to the planet and human and uh, uh, well, yeah, other humans, uh, and animals, and and plants, anything we want. No, that is not the balance either. Finding the right balance between taking care of humans and taking care of God's earth is extremely difficult. So I'd be curious, uh, what sort of approach do you use with the environment? How do you find that balance between having dominion over God's creation without letting it have dominion over you. Well, you can weigh in in the show notes, in the comment section on the show notes. Go to theology.fm slash Zond slash 12. Leave a comment there or on Facebook, uh, wherever you found this. And I'd be interested to know how you balance this, these, these concerns that we've talked about. Also, if you haven't done so already, I would love it if you would leave a rating and review on iTunes. People searching for studies on Genesis 1 or uh, environmentalism or things like that might help might find this podcast and be encouraged and instructed along with it. And your rating and review will increase that likelihood as as iTunes takes that into consideration. Thank you very much for leaving those rating and reviews. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening to the Theology.fm podcast. And until next time, keep thinking, and may your life and theology continue to look more and more like Jesus Christ.